This is Door Calls Media Roundtable. I'm Rose Aguilar. Now we will continue our discussion about the wave of layoffs hitting journalism outlets in the U.S. Yesterday, The Intercept laid off 15 journalists. Half of the editorial team of the digital news outlet Now This were also laid off. In January, about 840 journalists lost their jobs just last month. That is according to courts. Today's guest, Bill Shaner, is an independent journalist based in Worcester, Massachusetts. He says we should also be talking about what we lose when local columnists lose their jobs. In a recent piece for the Columbia Journalism Review, he writes, when we think of national columnists, we think of breathless and endless takes, a bloated and exhausting corp of self-declared experts perpetuating tribal groupthink. But the opposite is true for local news. Local columnists usually started as reporters. They tend to know everyone and have seen a large swath of local history firsthand, maybe even made some. Their voices are informed and earned. Bill Shaner is an independent journalist. In June 2020, he worked for the Worcester Magazine. After two of his columns were shelved without explanation, he decided to leave. And that same day, he launched a Substack newsletter called Worcester Sucks and I Love It. He did that to continue covering city life and politics. He writes, it was a moment of desperation, either go independent or leave journalism entirely. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Rose. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's great to have you. Before we dive in and talk about your story, and I love what you say about local columnists, I just wonder what your thoughts overall are about what we're seeing here. I mean, the the layoffs, sadly, are just not stopping. Right. Yeah, it's been a, a tough month on top of a tough year, on top of a tough decade. You know, it's like... Uh, when, um, uh, when are these layoffs going to stop? I mean, it's like, uh, it's some like a few hundred just in the past couple of weeks or months. Right. Uh-huh. And a, a lot of what I based my, um, my essay on in the Columbia journalism review, uh, was the Northwestern university state of local news coverage, which there's just one fact in, in that report that really sticks with me since 2005, We've lost two thirds of our working journalists here yeah. in America, or print journalists, I believe. But you know, the, the point stands. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's just devastating. And also, what doesn't get a lot of attention in that same report: so many ethnic news outlets have been lost because of financial issues, also because of COVID. Right. Yeah. Um, that's that's the case in 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 Worcester. There's uh, there was an outlet called uh, Vosero, which I believe closed during the pandemic. So. Is it is it Worcester? And that's Worcester, yeah. Worcester. I wasn't, okay. I, I a, get yeah, I get a lot of these names wrong in Massachusetts. Worcester. Okay. Worcester. Thank you. It's it's a common mistake and I didn't want to be a full townie about it by uh by making a big deal of it. It's yeah, a hard, no, it's a hard place to pronounce. <laughs> well, so so tell us a little bit about where you used to work and the importance of the the Worcester magazine. Sure. Yeah. So, so Worcester Magazine was uh, independently owned for a long time. It started in the eighties and for a long time, it was sort of the alt weekly voice of the city. Um, you know, like analogous to like, um, the village voice or something like that. And when I came on, I came on as a reporter and a columnist and I got to write this really cool column called Wisteria 
uh, which was, you know, Worcester hysteria, Worcesteria, uh, which was a longstanding column at that paper. And I got to really develop a voice as a columnist with that weekly column. And I loved it. Uh, in 2018, the paper was bought up by Gatehouse, which we now know as Gannett. It's one of the largest hedge funds buying up local newspapers and laying people off in the country. I think it actually might be the largest in terms of newspapers owned. And then uh, within a few months, they laid off everyone on the editorial staff but me. And I had to put out the paper by myself for like three months, which was very, uh, wasn't fun at all. And then the paper was sort of consolidated under the features desk of the Telegram and Gazette, which is the daily paper in Worcester. So it went from being like the scrappy alt-weekly competitor to the daily paper to being an insert, basically, put out by the same staff. And the the friction of that arrangement became too much for me, and I just had to leave and start my own newsletter, which I'm glad that I did. Why would Gannett buy a free weekly paper? <laughs> it's a great question. I I mean, I, I don't know how conspiratorial it really is to say, after what we've seen recently, especially, that like the layoffs are how these hedge funds and private equity firms make money off of the news. Like right. I, I really think that uh, the the point is to scoop up these outlets and reduce the staff while the uh, while the revenue remains steady and just pick up the scraps of that before the publications are rendered useless. <laughs> kind of, it, I I really do think that it's fair to say that these places like Worcester Magazine get destroyed on purpose. Mm. I mean, it's just devastating. We've done so many shows about these private equity firms and these hedge funds coming in, buying these papers, and then just laying so many people off with with historical knowledge. I mean, I really appreciate that you write about the importance of local columnists, because I feel like that's not really getting a lot of attention when we talk about what we lose when all of these journalists lose their jobs. Um, you write, for example, uh, The Telegram had... Uh, 104 staffers in 2005. Today, it is it employs about 20. And two columnists were the first to go, Diane Williamson and then Clive McFarlane. You write that McFarlane wrote about the city's issues with race and class in a way that afflicted the comfortable and comforted the afflicted. He took to task the code of silence among police, covered racism and sexual assault in public schools, and then offered the occasional heartwarming slice of life story, which of course we all love. But can you talk about that? What we lose when these local columnists who care so deeply and are embedded and live in, in these cities what we lose when they lose their jobs. Right. So I think that one of the things that doesn't get discussed a lot with the decline in the news industry is every time there's a buyout or a layoff cycle, it's institutional knowledge going out the door. It's the people who've been there the longest, know the most, and because of that, make the most money that get offered buyout packages and sort of get targeted by a corporate first. And they get replaced by younger people who don't really you know, don't might be just as talented, but just don't know as much, don't have that institutional knowledge. And that's like a a columnist, a local columnist is just a perfect example of the sort of role that really requires 
institutional knowledge and really requires having earned it. And that's just, that's a newspaper tradition that I think is unfortunately disappearing rapidly right now. Uh, And I don't think that's a good thing. When your columns were shelved, you decided to leave the Western magazine. And then that same day, you decided to start a Substack newsletter called Wester Sucks, and I love it. So tell us why you decided to, to go that route to start a newsletter. Right. So my voice as a columnist at Worcester Magazine, I just, I felt was really landing in a way with the community that I wanted to keep pursuing. And the way that I was writing was not, um, wasn't really in line with the Telegram in their, um, their, their sort of editorial voice and standards. So when I decided to go off on my own, and just write the way that I had been wanting to, but was getting pushback on. And I, the community was really receptive to it. And I sort of do see myself as using that Substack newsletter to, to sort of honor and expand on and experiment with the tradition of a local columnist, especially a local alt-weekly columnist, and see how that can be adapted to this new digital landscape that can't support alt-weeklies. And when you did that, a lot of people wanted to read your read your writings. And so you've got 680 paid subscribers and a total mailing list of 3,650. The newsletter is now your full-time job and you're in the process of turning it into a larger product project called the Worcester Community Media Foundation. Yep. Yep. Uh, so when I launched it, it was in a moment of desperation and I didn't it wasn't really scary because I had nothing to lose. And if it didn't work, I'd just go get a job at the post office or something or a restaurant, you know, and mm-hmm. now that it's worked and I am living off of it full time, it's extremely scary. Like I, I don't think that Substack is something to rely on as a career. <laughs> you know, it's not, a, it's not a 10 year plan. It could go belly up tomorrow, but I feel like I've, sort of started to build an, uh, a new media institution in Worcester and I'm pursuing the Worcester Community Media Foundation as a way of cementing that without uh, relying on, you know, what a, a venture capital and a tech company mm-hmm. to sustain my business. So that's, that's where I'm at now. I, I now that three years into this project, now it's terrifying to think about it not working anymore. So I want to um, make sure that I'm constantly trying to innovate and figure out a way to make this sustainable. And ideally, I mean, my, my number one goal is to resurrect an alt-weekly newsroom in Worcester. Uh, I've been able to figure out how to get myself paid, but I I think with uh, uh, the, the, the end goal is like a real staff uh And hopefully we can achieve that through the foundation. Right. And so this is something that we're all thinking about right now is what does it take to create a healthy local media ecosystem? One where people can be paid and, you know, be paid for their work and not wonder, am I going to be laid off in a month? Yes. And that's that's the million dollar question. It really is the million dollar question. And I do not think there are very many examples even across the country of new models 
that are successful. I mean, there, there are some bright spots, but there's, there's not a lot of them. So I really see myself right now as just trying to come up with a model that might be replicated elsewhere. Cause I think that's what everyone in local, uh, local journalism needs to do right now is just sort of sift around in the dark for some new way of making money off of it because it's not going to come from these venture capital firms and it's not going to come from Google or Facebook. And we just have to figure out a way to circumnavigate that, I think. And we should say, going back to the issues, what is lost when so many journalists lose their jobs? I mean, we mentioned the stories that those columnists wrote about uh, police issues, sexual assault in local schools. And you do a lot of reporting about the unhoused community in Worcester. Uh, we've got just a couple minutes left. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, that, that's sort of been uh, uh, a beat or a heavy focus of my writing that's emerged just because it feels natural that it's, it's the most pressing issue in the community right now. And there's sort of a code of silence around the police response to homelessness in Worcester right now. We do the sort of routine sweeps that are at in front of the Supreme court right now. And no one wants to talk about that or introduce the perspective of the unhoused people on what that does to them. So I have really enjoyed having the complete freedom uh, to pursue that issue and try to write about it in a way that's compelling. And thank you for recognizing that. That's uh, definitely the work that I'm, I'm most proud of since launching the newsletter. Yeah. It's so important. How are your readers responding to that reporting? It's great. I, I get great response from my readers. And the nice thing about Substack is that you get to, you get it directly, right? People can just email back to you and tell you what they think about it and what resonated. And I, um, I have a, uh, a project that I'm trying to start with the foundation where we're going to take some of that reporting and do a zine workshop and get physical copies made that we can distribute uh, around the city to some of our unhoused populations mm. uh, for them for just to, just to make it e- uh, easier to read. So really excited about that. There's sort of a, a, a good group effort energy around getting that project going. As you report, the unmitigated rightward drift of homelessness discourse in Worcester is is not just in Worcester, it's all over the country. And as you said, uh, last month, the Supreme Court agreed, and I'm reading from the AP right now, to review lower court rulings that make it harder for cities in the Western U.S. to prevent people from sleeping on the streets when there aren't enough beds in homeless shelters. So this is going to have major impact on unhoused people across the country. It, it will. I am excited and frankly sort of nervous about this, this court ruling on this issue. But it, it, regardless of what the ruling is, it's going to be, it's going to be a landmark decision. And I, I do feel strongly that this is an issue, uh, of our times in America right now. And the, the municipality, the city government and city reporting is the most appropriate way to tackle it it's uh it's not something that i don't i don't really think the new york times could do a better job of covering unhoused in worcester than i could you know well bill huge respect to you and your former colleagues for trying to keep local news alive at at this really 
tragic time that we're seeing so many people lose their jobs. It's just devastating. But thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for your work. Bill Shaner is an independent journalist based in Worcester, Massachusetts. He started a Substack newsletter called Worcester Sucks, and I love it, to continue covering city life and politics after his column was shelved without explanation at the Worcester magazine. It was bought by Gannett, a hedge fund that is buying newspapers across the country. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rose. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And you can learn more about Bill's work and learn more about all the layoffs that we're still seeing, The Intercept and now this just announced layoffs yesterday. Find information at yourcallradio.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's our Media Roundtable.